Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. Somebody came out to my mom and I and said, are you, you know, Jackson's mother? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, but we're going to get you an oncologist right away. Um, your son has a cancer that we most likely will not be able at this juncture to, to help. And you have maybe seven months with him left. Those are words that no parent ever wants to hear. This is Pastor Paul, the host of Life Support. Today, a very special program outside of the studio as Five Stone Media's Lee Bailey Sealer sits down to hear the story of Emily Nicholas and how she has dealt with what we call the worst loss. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Domestic violence, multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support. Let's get right to today's conversation with Lee Bailey Sealer from Five Stone Media and Emily Nicholas. Thank you uh, for, for your willingness to be here. Um, I just want to just remind everybody that there's not just two of us here, there's three of us here, right? It's, and yeah. so God's going to take this wherever it needs to go. For sure. Yeah. Um, would you... Uh, have, be willing to share with us um, the parts of your story that, that illustrate um, the struggle in your life, whatever part of your story you want to start with. Um, what, what is it that, what about your life would be helpful for other people to hear? Um, like before loss of children? Um, yeah, you can give us a little bit of your background. Where, where, where'd you grow up? How many, how, what was your family like? That kind of thing. Oh, wow. And just general <clears throat> information. Um, I was born in Oklahoma, and Norman, Oklahoma, and raised there uh, pretty much. And um, I had a really uh, dysfunctional situation going on. So um, marriage, divorce, those kind of things. Probably lots of daddy issues, I'm sure. Um, got into uh, drugs and alcohol and stealing cars and doing crazy things at a very young age. Um, but I did meet the Lord at nine years old, which I'm so grateful for. Um, I came home from school, was dropping my backpack off, and my mom was cutting vegetables and said, do you know who Jesus is? And because she was cutting vegetables, I kind of was like, well, is he coming for dinner? Because I had never actually heard of Jesus. And when I asked her that, she gave me this really concerned look um, and started taking me to church pretty much the very next weekend. Um, it wasn't too long, probably not even a year, before I heard a message myself and wanted to walk down myself and accept Christ. And it was in a Baptist church, so they really want to make sure you know what you're doing. And afterwards took me in a room and asked me all kinds of questions and made very certain that I understood what I walked down for. And I felt that whole situation. I still remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I really believe God, God got a hold of me major and, and, and pulled me towards him. Um, but because I couldn't really read and write very well, and I was uh, always getting suspended from school and doing crazy things. Um, I didn't know to stay in my Bible or read my Bible or, or understand that that was really his word to me. Um, and so I quickly got off the path. Um, 
for quite some time. Um, and I, right when I turned 17, I decided since I graduated high school, thank God, um, just barely, I decided to move to Branson, Missouri to do uh, singing and dancing, Patsy Cline stuff right away um, because I've always danced and, and, you know, sang and impersonated and all those kind of things. And I wanted to make it real in my life. So I moved there um, for about four and a half years and I met my first husband. Um, we got married at 19. I was just very young, very naive. I uh, wanted to be taken seriously for a change. Um, so I thought that would help. Oh, if I get married and, you know, if I look like a respectable married person and whatever, I would be taken more seriously. And um, <clears throat> we were together almost five years. Um, it ended in divorce. It was very tragic. And he ended up dying a year later on my birthday, which was really odd. Um, so that kind of freaked me out. And I didn't want to get married again. Didn't really want to try that. <clears throat> but I met a drummer. Um, that I was doing uh, Patsy Cline for an Opry house. <clears throat> and um, we dated for a really long time. I, um, I got pregnant um, <clears throat> uh, when I was 24. And I got so violently, <clears throat> violently ill. And everybody was like, well, you're pregnant. You know, that's, that's what pregnant women have those issues. You know, they're going to throw up and they're going to be sick and you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, when we went to go um, do an ultrasound, finally at 16 weeks, um, the baby was non-viable. It had passed away and it was called a molar miscarriage, which is pretty intense. Um, and I was really actually on like my deathbed and didn't even know it until right then because uh, when she couldn't find the viable heartbeat, and realized that the womb was continuing to grow as if the child was alive, but the toxins from the death were um, making me deathly ill. Um, I had to, um, because I'm a kind of a starving artist at different points in my life, I didn't have insurance. And so the doctor, wonderful doctor said, listen, um, told my mom and me, I'm gonna make you an appointment right now at an abortion clinic because they do DNCs the same as we do, but it will be $6,000 to do it here. And it would be in the hundreds to do it there. And um, I'm gonna call it in and have you do that right now. And of course, I wasn't even thinking straight. I was sick and hurting. I just wanted to get well. Um, so we traveled 30 minutes south and um, went into an abortion clinic where that, that was the first time I really even was having a judgmental moment that I had to really talk with God about like, oh my gosh, I'm here with all these women maybe wanting to get these viable babies out and mine's non-viable and I want it to stay and I have to, you know, um, do this. And so I just sat there needing God the whole time while really watching, couldn't help but see everyone that's sitting there with you. Um, doing what they're doing and, and just the Holy Spirit really laying on my heart that, that we were all in there for different various reasons, um, whatever they were and to just be loving and kind and, um, and get through this, you know, however I could, I ended up having to get two <clears throat> DNCs. So 
it scraped my tissue pretty good and scarred it pretty good. So I couldn't have babies anymore um, naturally. I would, if I was going to get pregnant, if it was going to happen again, I would have to have C-section from that point on. Um, and I didn't think I could get pregnant. It was just a lot of scar tissue from that. Um, but about five years later, I, I really prayed and prayed and prayed, you know, Lord, I, I want a baby, you know, I want to be a mom. And I ended up getting pregnant with Jackson. And, um, I was sick for a little bit at the beginning, but nothing like before and everything went really well. Um, I did have to have a C-section with him. He was just a few weeks early and had to go into NICU. Um, he had, he had tore my lining, um, with one of his little tiny fingernails, you know, so interesting. Um, but we then had moved to Nevada, obviously, and we're doing, uh, singing and different things, um, in a band <clears throat> doing casino work. And so I was gone a lot um, during his formative years, which I really regret, actually. Um, but everything was fine and normal, and he was a normal little boy, super talented, um, had the most amazing, perfect pitch voice, like my mom and like myself. It just kind of passed on right to him, which was such a blessing to hear. Um, and... We, once we were done with our, our stint in Laughlin, Nevada, uh, about 45 minutes outside of Las Vegas, we moved home <clears throat> to Oklahoma so that Jackson could be around my mother, his grandmother, and some other family members and grow up around people that, um, that were family and take a break um, from that extreme performance life. Um, <clears throat> and when he was five, um, he started having the worst headaches and we had just moved there, um, just a few months before. So I took him to the doctor and, um, the doctor said, you know, he's probably because of the altitude change and the humidity and those kind of things in Oklahoma, he's probably having allergies and sinus and those kind of things. So he put him on like allergy medicines, uh, sinus, uh, things for his nose and it helped for maybe a couple days and then it was worse and worse and we kept going back and going back and literally like on paper it was like 30 times of visiting doctors to find out why he was having such horrible time with his head and um and so we kept doing the allergy medicine. They never tested him for allergies, what allergy that could be, you know. Um we kept asking if they could or would and um whatever. But, um, then, um, he, his eye turned in. And so we thought, okay. And it just happened pretty much overnight one night, literally like that, where his eye was just turning in. And so I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to have to go to the eye doctor and get that fixed. And, you know, I didn't know with lenses or whatever they do. And so we made an eye doctor appointment and, and our eye doctor said, no, Emily, this is something else. This is not anything I can fix. Um, let's get a CAT scan. And so it took about a month for him to be able to get in for the CAT scan. And once he did, um, sadly, the, the guy doing the CAT scan that day was very new <clears throat> in his field. And he just really didn't know what he was looking at. 
And so he ordered an MRI. And that took another month to get that. So when we went to get the MRI, um, right after they did it, he wasn't even off the bed yet. Um, somebody came out to my mom and I and said, are you, you know, Jackson's mother? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, but we're going to get you an oncologist right away. Um, your son has a cancer that we most likely will not be able at this juncture to, to help. And you have maybe seven months with him left. And of course, we're just sitting there kind of like, you know, that's not really happening. You know, this is not happening. And so you just kind of go into a shock like the, Like, I just, I can't even explain it really. And my mom was just, couldn't say anything. And she's never a loss for words. So, you know, we were in another place. Um, but when he got off the table, of course, and came outside to see us, you know, to see our reaction, I'm sure, disturbed him. But we were trying to keep it together for him, too, because we're talking about, a, you know, just a really formative brain here that's very young and um, doesn't need that burden and is carrying it already, you know. So uh, anyways, we, um, we went to see the oncologist um, pretty much right away. And uh, she explained what it was. It's DIPG, which is Diffused Integrated Pons Glioma. And um, there's a lot of research at different places I really can't mention right now uh, on where that comes from and how that happens, um, which was a, a, an another shock also. Um, but, uh, you know, they did some eye surgeries on him to spring his eye back, but the... the um, the glioma, it's on the pons and it's like a uh, cauliflower. So it starts, it's on the pons and then it starts integrating into the brain. And the reason why his eye turned in was it was pressing on his sixth optic nerve. So that was the uh, reason why his eye turned in. And then other things immediately started happening pretty much in consecutive, you know, weeks. Uh, he had to go through lots of radiation um, they wanted to do chemo. I was, I'm kind of holistic in a lot of the things that I do. So I'm, I was very against what I had been reading about chemo. Um, but I was kind of, I feel nagged into it eventually did one, uh, chemo and he ended up having a stroke on that, on that, uh, on that round. So of course I said, no more, absolutely no more. Um, he had to be on steroids, uh, which made him gain 30, 35 pounds. And he did not recognize himself in the mirror anymore and would not look at himself anymore in the mirror. Um, you know, also something that was interesting with the, <clears throat> the way this cauliflower cancer, it pressed on other nerves that apparently we're not able to access normally without that pressing. And it actually made him flourish in some areas too, like in art, I paint. And so he uh, wanted to paint with me, uh, ended up being a better painter than me in like no time, um, sold his art during this time. Um, just incredible things he did. He, he was just so beautiful, you know, just a beautiful spirit. He uh, loved the Lord. He found the Lord and we discussed that much. And he said um, that he felt like God and the devil were battling for him and that he realized that 
at six years old, by the time he did pass away, almost before seven, but for a six-year-old to say some of the things that he said was just, um, it's, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. He was an old soul already, kind of, you know, just very intelligent beyond his years and such a giving and kind person, you know? So I miss all that. And, um, every year I miss, you know, what his shoe size would be like or what girl he might be interested in or what, um, you know, a thing he would be up to. I feel very blessed to have had him in my life, but it's, um, it's hard every day. You know, I, I, I live, but I grieve with that. And, and I'm trying to find a way to live and grieve at the same time because it, it has to happen. You can't make it go away. Um, but during the time of, um, of all that, we had a lot of family and friends gather, um, my church who was not equipped for, um, that type of loss, um, really pulled together with their resources because churches do have resources. They just don't really know how to allocate them, I think, to different areas until it happens sometimes. And, uh, my church was just amazing with everything they did. Um, we got to hold the funeral there at, at the church. Hundreds of people came. I was in shock by it. It was beautiful. Um, and, uh, really helped me with a little bit of counseling afterwards for several months that they did not have to do. Um, and I really appreciated those things. Um, on another note, I had a lot of, um, Christian people telling me that, uh, that it was my sins from my past and how bad I was, um, that killed Jackson. Um, a lot of Christians also telling me that I don't have enough faith because Jesus wants to heal everybody and that's what he came to do. And so I don't have enough faith and I don't know him enough or I'm not praying hard enough or I'm not focused or, um, all those kind of things. Um, had friends that say, you know, how are you not angry at God? Why are you still, uh, even talking to God? Um, I'm sure God could have taken a beating if I wanted to scream and yell and throw fit, but I just never felt that way about it. I always felt like he was right there with me. And at one point I felt like he directed me to how much he understood how I felt because he lost his son and um, that he knew exactly how I felt. I love that you started talking about your family with, um, her name is Grace, right? The child that I, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, your little girl. Um, and I think one thing that you could help women with, particularly men too, uh, is uh, I think that many women, uh, my daughter lost a, a baby and she never talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't acknowledge it. it was part of her life. Um, can you talk about four women who have gone through that? Four? Either for women who have gone oh, through this, women, 
either f uh, an abortion <clears throat> or lost a baby well, uh, without their choice. Um, say, um, how is it that you hold on to her? Because it's a painful thing to hold on to that, right? Very. So how do you hold on to that memory? Well, I find that um, for me, first of all, we named that baby Grace. We didn't know if it was male or female. We, we weren't able to tell. But we named that baby Grace whether it was female or male. Um, but uh, with Grace and Jackson, um, I did not want to sweep anything under the rug, put their pictures in a box. Um, that was a very real time in my life um, and so many others. And we need to remember, that's what we have is our memory, our, you know, our channeling of those things. And when you suppress that, it really can't be suppressed. You're, you're, you're not doing a service to yourself to suppress it. Um, what's been better for me is even as painful as it is, whether you do try to suppress it or not, you must face it. And I think it's more beautiful for our family to continue to see these pictures, um, to, I have them all over. My son now currently absolutely knows all about Grace, absolutely knows all about Jackson, is still wearing some of Jackson's clothes, is still playing with some of his toys. Um, you know, and uh, it's important to to hold those precious moments within yourself and bring them to God all the time with, you know, however that pain is striking you on that day. You know, there'll be signs that say Jackson Street right there, trigger, you know, or, um, you know, going to a supermarket or a game or a show and somebody says, uh, is that your only child or whatever? And are you supposed to say, uh, yep, mm -hmm, only this one, you know, and just forget what you had? Or are you supposed to say, well, I have three, you know, I've tried a plethora of things because I've been asked so many different times. And, um, I don't, I mean, Quinn knows so much about them. It would be wrong for me to say just him. It might mentally disturb him if I do that, you know, and, and then it disturbs the people. If I tell them, well, I have three, well, where are they? How old are they? Well, two of them have passed on and they, you know, have a reaction, you know, um, and then I have to react to the reaction and there's all this thing going on. But sometimes, a lot of times <clears throat> God brings such an awesome discussion out of it, another cleansing aspect of it, to be able to talk about your children, to be able to show a picture of, of this child that was here, um, is I think all part of the healing process. I think it needs to be there for me anyways. I mean, I did plenty of tattoos and needles just to try to still feel like I'm alive, you know, uh, go through some pain. I felt very numb in a lot of Aries, I'm still sort of numb today. I have to pinch myself a lot in different ways to um, wake up because it's it's a it's a tragedy. It's it's um, a trauma. It feels like a mental disability, really. Is there, is there any good in your grief? Yes, there is good in my grief. Um, there's also good in it to um, share with other people who have lost children. It helps me to 
know that someone understands my non-filtered process now or um, kind of the way I look at certain things today and for them as well, you know, to know that somebody has gone through that and can just talk about their children because nobody really wants to talk about the deceased. They don't, they don't want to talk about that. You know, they're alive and so that's almost just not even recognizable or, or how, how do you talk about that, you know? So um, there is good and, and I'm always finding it. Such an important topic. Having lost a child, we have heard pretty much everything. Even with a good heart, people say crazy things and sometimes they hurt and that whole experience can be just crippling. But I take heart in scripture and I think you can too. In Psalm 147.3, the Bible tells us he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And that means he will bind your wounds. That means he will enter into where you are. I remember some of the darkest nights that I have ever experienced. And there always was Jesus. And you know, that's what we do here on Life Support. We tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ through whatever suffering and trauma might come your way. And I want to thank our fine partners that make this possible, faithradio.com. You can see a video portion of this at fivestonemedia.com. And check us out at Ridgewood Church, if you would as well, myrwc.org. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.